No Justice Department is above the law. The only recourse left for the House is to hold Attorney General in contempt of Congress. Oh, hello, House Republicans from 2012. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I remember them. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica with you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and, of course, Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950 KTNF, as well as many other fine affiliates across this great land of ours. You can also hear us streaming every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and you can download us from your favorite podcast site so you have no excuses. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, <clears throat> your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've got some uh, breaking news that I need to start the show off with here uh, that I am none too happy about. But a uh, shooting at a suburban Denver middle school injured seven people on Tuesday. Two suspects are in custody, according to authorities. This just happened uh, within the past uh, half hour or so, uh, so don't have a lot of developments at this time. The uh, under-sheriff in Douglas County says there is a possible eighth injury. Uh, does not believe there are any other shooters, but tactical teams are still were, are still searching uh, room to room uh, at this hour. She did not know if there were fatalities or other details about the victims or the extent of their injuries. This shooting occurred at the middle school at STEM School Highlands Ranch, a public charter school with more than 1,800 students uh, in kindergarten through 12th grades. So um, that's developing today. Because, you know, it's another day in these uh, United States. The shooting gallery of these United States. Indeed. Um, anyway, uh, we are going to uh, get to the uh, ongoing, if sometimes frustratingly slow-moving constitutional crisis in Donald Trump's uh, great America again, uh, as that uh, standoff continues to deepen between the administration and Congress on a whole bunch of fronts. But first, since as predicted on yesterday's broadcast, the 
Desi Doyen, the landmark U.N. report warning that human activities is resulting in the potential extinction of some one million land and sea species. We try to put some key stuff regarding our climate crisis up front because it is too often overshadowed by our deepening constitutional crisis. And as I predicted yesterday, that has, in fact, happened over the past 24 hours, have not seen a lot of coverage, frankly. Uh, of this uh, d- troubling UN report. Yeah, I know. You know, hey, it could be the life support ecosystem that makes life for humans possible on Earth, but you know, meh, there's a royal baby. So that's more important. You're so cynical. I am. So many crises, so little time in every regard. So coming up later, our Green News report with Desi Doyen and more on that landmark U.N. study, finding that, yeah, man is uh, just about screwing up everything on the planet. Uh, but one aspect of the U.S. Um, uh, role in destroying whatever it can as quickly as it possibly can, that developed after we had time, uh, after we uh, actually put uh, today's GNR to bed. So let me start there. Scientists spoke out after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said uh, shrinking Arctic ice would offer, quote, opportunity and abundance for industry passageways he said opened up by retreating sea ice could turn the arctic into quote 21st century panama canal pompeo told a meeting of arctic council of the arctic council in finland on monday uh, about all of this in fact donald trump's secretary of state seemed downright giddy about the idea that global warming was exacerbating our climate crisis to allow for the full and complete plundering of what had been previously a largely frozen and pristine arctic during his remarks at the arctic council on monday the arctic is at the forefront of opportunity and abundance it houses 13 percent of the world's undiscovered oil 30% of its undiscovered gas, and an abundance of uranium, rare earth minerals, gold, diamonds, and millions of square miles of untapped resources. Fisheries galore. And its centerpiece, the Arctic Ocean, is rapidly taking on new strategic significance. Offshore resources, which are helping their respective coastal states, are the subject of renewed competition. Steady reductions in sea ice are opening new passageways, and new opportunities for trade. This could potentially slash the time it takes to travel between Asia and the West by as much as 20 days. So this is fantastic news, Desi Doyen. The (laughs) Arctic is melting, and look at all of the opportunities that are offered here. And you notice he never once mentioned that the reason why the sea ice is melting and why these new minerals would be extractable is because of climate change. And he is, you're right, just about ecstatic at being able to pull in some profits from extracting everything there is in the Arctic and making sure that there is nothing left. Oil, gold, um fisheries galore this on the same day that that study came out from the UN saying that we are overfishing our seas that we have some 400 dead zones now in our oceans and that we've 
uh, basically fished out. I don't know. Some I can't remember what the numbers were. There were so many numbers in that report, but uh, it was about one third of the world's fisheries are overfished, and the others are fast moving in that direction. Hey. And they want to make sure that the Arctic becomes one of yeah, them. Yeah, good news. Fisheries galore, says our Secretary of State. Those comments were during a speech about political and economic threats to the region. Uh, I guess he's concerned about political and economic threats, if not, you know, climate threats. Uh, several nations see uh, the Arctic as a vast store of untapped resources. Pompeo did not use the phrase climate change once during his 2,400-word speech, according to the AP, but he did say that America is the world's leader in caring for the environment. <laughs> Yeah. He added right. that uh, President Donald Trump was committed, quote, to leveraging resources in environmentally responsible ways. That just days after they uh, rolled back the uh, safety regulations that were put in place under Obama following the BP oil spill back in 2010. Was yes. It? Offshore drilling in the <sighs> Arctic. That's an environmentally responsible way to leverage resources. Uh, when pressed about climate change by Finnish newspaper, Pompeo said that he and Trump believe, quote, we should put all our emphasis on, quote, outcomes. According to CNN, what does that mean? Never mind the cost. What's important is the outcomes. Exactly. How much profit can we get out of that? What's the cost benefit of killing all these species? But hey, there's profit. So who cares? The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, reported in March of this year that, quote, since satellite based measurements began in the late 1970s, Arctic sea ice extent has decreased in all months and virtually all regions. A new report from the U.S. National Snow and Ice Data Center found that April brought record low extents of sea ice, 89,000 fewer square miles than April of 2018. It also noted, noted that ice four years or older only now uh, now only uh, compromised uh, comprised I'm sorry 1.2 percent of the Arctic ice cover. In other words, if I'm understanding this correctly, Des, ice uh, that had previously remained frozen for years, year after year, decades, decade after decade, centuries, millennia, all year long. Uh, that ice, that type of ice was almost non-existent at this point. Yes, we have succeeded in breaking the Arctic. We won. Pompeo's speech, though it shouldn't have come as a surprise for the council, apparently did. The council primarily aims to protect the region's environment and inhabitants. According to political scientist Malgorzata Smitsik, who is a fellow at the nonprofit group, the International Arctic Science Committee, uh, she said everything has been focused on constructive cooperation where you don't bring outside problems in. Well, those days are apparently now over. Malgur Zatza, whatever her name is. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, she said the speech today shifted everyone's attention to are we looking at the next conflict in the Arctic? When the real issue here is still climate change. No speech, she said, will change that. Shrinking sea ice is already affecting life in the region. Arctic sea ice researcher Georgia Hole of the University of Oxford told Newsweek. 
The continuing decline, she said, will lead to a slew of negative consequences from changes to global atmospheric patterns to uh, habit reduction, habitat reduction for Arctic animals like polar bears, seals and, and Arctic foxes. Hole said to see continuing sea ice loss as an economic opportunity is short-sighted and ignorant of the realities of this rapidly changing region and the broader global context. Well, short-sighted and ignorant of the realities is actually Donald Trump's 2020 campaign slogan, I'm fairly certain. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, um, sea ice in the Arctic is shrinking and thinning every year. Hole said in areas of ice-free ocean, the protective cooling cover of ice is lost and the Arctic absorbs more solar heat, amplifying existing warming. And one of the important things that was mentioned there was the changes in global weather patterns. What they're talking about is something you and I have discussed quite a bit on the Green News Report and here on the broadcast about how melting of the Arctic sea ice is actually warming the air above it, changing the jet stream, which brings weather systems across the United States. That's when we have these bomb cyclones, these repeat bomb cyclones, and these uh, weather events that get stuck in place and dump days and days of rain. So this has huge consequences consequences for people all around the world, including in the United States. Yeah, and it's something, uh, those changing weather patterns, that's something we had asked Michael Mann about on this show, uh, Dr. Michael Mann, Professor Dr. Michael Mann, um, and if all of this uh, global warming was actually changing weather patterns as a whole, uh, he said he was very concerned about that, and I think he later came out with a report, if I recall, uh, on exactly that. Uh, in any event, this ice uh, that Hole was talking about uh, that doesn't exist anymore. She was referring to these so-called positive feedback loops uh, where, you know, the ice in the Arctic ice melts. And so therefore heat sunlight is absorbed by the darker oceans, which then warms those oceans, which then makes more ice melt. If I'm understanding that you do. And when they call loop. it a positive feedback loop, they don't mean that it's a good thing. They right. mean that it is a self-reinforcing uh, yeah. feedback loop that actually intensifies as it feeds back on itself. Right. Uh, now, normal nations uh, have been trying to avoid things like that uh, via the Paris Climate Accord, which the U.S. is pulling out of. Uh, But the effects of Arctic sea ice loss will extend far beyond the Arctic hole warned. Yeah, well, America is great again, so we couldn't care less about all of that, as we learned when it came time to sign a joint agreement on the Arctic on Monday. According to Reuters today, the U.S. has refused to sign an agreement on challenges in the Arctic due to discrepancies over climate change wording in the agreement. This according to diplomats on Tuesday, jeopardizing cooperation in the polar region at the sharp edge of global warming, where Arctic temperatures are now rising at twice the rate of the rest of the globe. Reuters says the meeting of eight nations bordering the Arctic in Finland on Tuesday was supposed to frame a two-year agenda to balance the challenge of global warming with sustainable development of mineral wealth. But sources with knowledge of that discussion, according to Reuters, said the U.S. balked at signing a final declaration as it disagreed with the wording that climate change was a serious threat to the Arctic. Not a threat. It's a gift. 
It was uh, the first time a declaration had been canceled since the Arctic Council was formed back in 1996. Instead, in a brief statement, ministers from the U.S., Canada, Russia, Finland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and Iceland repeated their commitment to sustainable development and the protection of the Arctic environment, but they refused to sign any agreements because uh, the uh, U.S., uh, uh, other nations had wanted to go further than the U.S. was comfortable going. Uh, The uh, chair of the talks, Finnish Foreign Minister Timo Soini, said in a statement that a majority of us regarded climate change as a fundamental challenge facing the Arctic and acknowledged the urgent need to take mitigation and adaptation actions and to strengthen resilience. Well, where suckers like him, I guess, see a fundamental challenge, others see opportunity for exploitation and riches at any and all costs. Trump 2020. Short-sighted and ignorant of the realities. Uh, so, and he told reporters, I don't want to blame anyone. <laughs> he, A diplomat, he yes, is. Yes, he is. Speaking of short-sighted, though, uh, that's exactly how the U.S. will get away with all of this, as others are frightened to call them out. I don't want to blame. I don't want to name anyone. Bullies are really happy when you don't blame or name them. They, they like that. They're very happy with that response. Swedish Foreign Minister Margot Wallström said in her address to the council, a climate crisis in the Arctic is not a future scenario. It is happening as we speak. Well, then, I hope that she will call out the malevolent nation that is now announcing we are happy to make it even worse in the Arctic. The Paris Accord agreed to limit a rise in average global temperatures to well below 2 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial times by 2100, but worldwide temperatures are up by about one degree centigrade and about twice that, as I said, in the Arctic. But hey, there's gold and oil and then their previously frozen passageways. So all of that on the very same day as the U.N. released this report, which the U.S., by the way, did sign on to that one finding that man is hastening the extinction of some one million species by our overdevelopment and overexploitation of some 75% of the globe or so. But that's, uh, you know, hey, that 25% left ain't going to exploit itself, suckers. So while the Arctic is warming, uh, what has happened over the past 24 hours in D.C. is, well, chilling, frankly. National security journalist Marcy Wheeler brought all of this to my attention earlier today with this tweet, quote, in the halcyon days of Trump's first two years, he only signed his uh, I'm sorry, he only signaled his preferences by pardoning people who obstruct justice. That a reference to Trump's pardons to folks like the disgraced Arizona sheriff Joe Arpaio, who was found guilty of contempt of federal court orders back when Trump seemed to be sending the signal that it was okay to ignore the rule of law, be it a court order or federal prosecutor, it was all right. He would pardon anyone who did that, who obstructed justice. No worries. That was the signal he was sending in his first two years. 
But the news today of a pardon that Trump granted on Monday night sends a uh, far chillier signal, I think, uh, according to CNN. President Donald Trump on Monday granted a pardon to a former first lieutenant in the U.S. Army who was sentenced to prison in 2009 for the murder of an Iraqi detainee, according to the White House. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders announced that Michael Behenna of Oklahoma would receive a full pardon. In a statement, Sanders said Behenna had been sentenced to 25 years in prison for murder in a combat zone by a military court. Behenna deployed to Iraq in 2007, according to The Washington Post. The following year, two soldiers and friends of his were killed in a roadside explosion, and he was on the scene. Shortly after the soldier's death, there was an intelligence report saying then then Iraqi operative Ali Mansour possibly helped organize the explosion, according to The Post. Mansour was interrogated, but then freed because the military did not have conclusive evidence tying him to the explosion. Well, less than a month later, Bahena went to uh, interrogate Mansour on his own, without authorization. He took Mansour out into the desert, forced him to strip naked, and shot him twice, according to the Post. Bahena then left the body and did not tell anyone about it, and the next day Iraqi police found the body. According to the report, Behenna maintained he was acting in self-defense. Military prosecutors, however, you know, our great military men who Trump says he loves so much, they told the jury at his 2009 military court-martial that they believe Behenna killed Mansoor to avenge the loss of the two soldiers. Captain Irwin uh, Captain Irwin Roberts in February of 2009 made the prosecution's opening statement before a panel of seven officers. The court-martial would follow rules similar to those for federal criminal trials. Jamil Dakwar, the director of ACLU Human Rights Program, tweeted uh, that Trump just pardoned a convicted murderer and war criminal and said, here is the opening statement of the military prosecutor in the court-martial of Michael Bahena, who was convicted of killing Iraqi citizen Ali Mansour Mohammed. The opening statement from uh, Captain Irwin Roberts, quote, The evidence will show that on May 16, 2008, the accused took the victim out into the desert in Iraq, stripped him naked, interrogated him while he had his Glock pistol pointed at him, shot him in the head, shot him in the chest, killing him at that time. That man, Michael Bahena, who murdered a man in cold blood, according to this uh, trial, uh, this court-martial, shooting him point-blank in the head and chest, that man has just been pardoned by the President of the United States. So remember Marcy's tweet? In the halcyon days of Trump's first two years, he only signaled his preferences by pardoning people who obstruct justice. What's Donald Trump trying to signal now? Sarah Huckabee Sanders wrote in her White House statement, Behenna is entirely deserving of this grant of executive clemency or pardon. 
Hina Shamsi, the director of ACLU's National Security Project, disagreed, calling the pardon, quote, a presidential endorsement of a murder that violated the military's own code of justice. The military appeals court found Behenna disobeyed orders, became the aggressor against his prisoner and had no justification for killing a naked, unarmed Iraqi man in the desert away from the actual battlefield, Shimsy said in a statement. Other military and legal voices on Twitter are... In a similar uproar in response today, Army officer Victoria Oropesa Kozitz wrote, I went through four years of ethics classes at West Point. I was taught that atrocities and murder in the name of America make us weak, make us the bad guys. So I'm pretty damned confused about the Behenna pardon. Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe tweeted, No president has wielded the pardon power more horribly Not to temper justice with mercy, but to reward ghouls like Arpaio and Behenna and to tamper with witnesses like Manafort and Stone. Former Guantanamo Bay prosecutor and national security specialist Colonel Morris Davis wrote uh, Trump pardons, uh, tweeted Trump pardons ex-soldier convicted of killing Iraqi prisoner war crimes. No problem with Donald Trump at the helm. Trump, of course, is no stranger to controversial pardons. In addition to his pardon of former Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who refused to obey a court order telling him to stop profiling Latinos. Trump also pardoned right-wing media pundit Dinesh D'Souza, an ardent Trump fan who broke campaign finance laws, you know, just as Donald Trump broke campaign finance laws. And as the Mueller report found uh, in its section detailing Trump's repeated attempts at obstruction of justice, Trump also dangled the idea of pardons to folks like Michael Cohn, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, and others if, you know, they just didn't tell the truth, if they just chose to obstruct justice when interviewed by... uh, federal investigators. But what but what obstruction of justice, as Trump scoffs, Trump's uh, scofflaw AG and fixer William Barr has argued, there is no obstruction of justice because there is no underlying crime that Trump was trying to obstruct. That's the argument that uh, Barr has been making in the case of Trump. He says uh, he sincerely Trump sincerely believed that he was being falsely accused That's what Barr said last week under oath during his Senate testimony. And so, therefore, there was no underlying crime, so there can't be obstruction charges of that crime because there was no legitimate criminal investigation to begin with, nothing to obstruct. Yes, that is actually one of the legally laughable theories that the nation's top law enforcement official has been using to justify his pronouncement that Donald Trump committed no crimes. Despite all of the evidence in the Mueller report that clearly suggests otherwise, which now 500 former federal prosecutors have cited as evidence that, yes, Donald Trump, had he been a private citizen and not the president, he would already have been indicted for multiple criminal felony obstruction of justice charges based only on the evidence presented in the redacted version of the Mueller report. When we covered that story um, 
On our previous broadcast, it was only about 400 former federal prosecutors, both Republican and Democratic, going all the way back to Eisenhower's days, who had signed on to that letter. But by last night, that number uh, signing on went to more than 500. All of which makes this announcement from Bill Barr's <clears throat> Department of Justice today very strange. This from the uh, Department of Justice U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia. A Virginia man, this is a press release from the DOJ, a Virginia man who previously served as a linguist for the FBI was arrested Saturday night on charges of obstructing a federal investigation and making false Multiple false statements to FBI officials. Huh, that sounds familiar. According to court documents, Abdirajak Jaji Rage Wahili was a federal contractor for the FBI and worked as a linguist translating communications captured by court-authorized surveillance of a suspect identified here as Person A, in a terrorism investigation. Wahili allegedly intentionally misidentified his own voice that was captured when Person A left a voicemail message on Wahili's mobile telephone. When questioned by FBI investigators about this particular incident, Wahili made several misleading and or false statements to investigators. Now... Uh, you may wish to describe Wahili here as a cunning linguist. <laughs> but the fact is, uh, yes, uh, he moving on. He violated <laughs> uh, the law, in fact, by obstructing the investigation and has now been charged for that crime by Bill Barr's Justice Department. Wahili is charged with making false statements to government officials and obstruction of a federal investigation. If convicted, he faces a maximum penalty of 25 years in prison. And I should note this was brought to my attention uh, by a legal analyst and former uh, federal and state prosecutor, Eli Honig, who is now a CNN legal analyst. He notes in linking to this story via Twitter, quote, note obstruction charges with no charged underlying crime just brought by A.G. William Barr's Department of Justice. It's as if there's one set of rules that applies to Donald Trump and a whole different set of rules that applies to pretty much everybody else in the entire country. We'll take a quick break and come back and talk about uh, some of those other rules as they apply to members of uh, Donald Trump's administration uh, with our latest constitutional crisis update. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yep. 
It's the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back to it. Um, boy, you know, with the uh, with the breaking news at the top, I've been, I've been collecting these various election stories, Desi Doyen, that I've yeah. been trying to get to. Uh, here's the news. Not going to get to them today oh. either. Sorry. Oh, Sorry well. to disappoint you. They'll um, still be there after all this is over. Yeah, well, maybe. We'll see. Uh, this, uh, But I do want, before we get to the Green News report, a, a very quick, or the closest I can do, to a very quick update on the ongoing, growing constitutional crisis that we are now facing right now. Yes, we are in the middle of a, both a climate crisis and a constitutional crisis, if you haven't noticed, as Congress faces off with a, uh, a Trump White House who has decided to obstruct just uh, just everything, uh, obstruct justice at every single turn, including uh, instructing agency officials and former employees to do the same, ignoring subpoenas uh, and the well-established rule of law. So here is where we are today with the essentially uh, three different top officials now who are likely facing a vote of contempt by Congress if they don't appear and or produce documents as required by subpoena and or statute. Uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, he's refusing to turn over six years of tax returns to the uh, House Ways and Means Committee as required by statute. His justification is that there is no, quote, legitimate legislative purpose by Congress uh, for uh, for making that demand. But a that is not up to Stephen Mnuchin to decide. B, the nearly century old statute requiring those tax documents to be turned over does not require a, quote, legitimate legislative purpose. See, the chair of the the Democratic chair of the Ways and Means Committee has said that they do have a legitimate legislative purpose anyway. And D, it is not actually up to the Treasury Secretary and certainly not the White House to decide any of this. It is up to the IRS commissioner, as per the statute, to turn over the documents. Though his boss Mnuchin and his boss uh, Trump have told him not to. In violation of the statute, in violation of the law, a vote of uh, contempt for Mnuchin and or the IRS commissioner is likely in the days ahead. Okay, that's one. Attorney General William Barr has refused to turn over the full unredacted Mueller report and its underlying evidence in response to a lawful subpoena issued by the House Judiciary Committee and has also refused to show up for sworn uh, sworn testimony. A vote on contempt by Barr is scheduled for Wednesday. But as the Democrats on the committee are trying to offer every available accommodation to the DOJ before actually voting on contempt, as still scheduled for Wednesday, at least as we go to air here, the uh, Democrats have agreed to a meeting today with the DOG, DOJ to try and find some kind of accommodation to avoid that vote. But it is worth knowing, uh, worth recalling that Barr would not be the first attorney general who Congress has sided with contempt in uh, recent years. Republicans cited Barack Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, with contempt. In 2012, when he uh, refused to turn over certain documents that the Republican Congress felt it was entitled to during the so-called Fast and Furious uh, investigation, if you're old enough to remember that one, many of the same Republicans now claiming that Barr does not need to answer a lawful subpoena 
had a very different take on an attorney general needing to follow the rule of law and congressional subpoenas back in 2012. Here is a sample compiled today by Think Progress of one Republican lawmaker in the House after another after another talking about exactly that. The attorney general has not only failed to produce all the relevant documents, he has misled this Congress and thereby prevented us from uncovering the truth. This is about the Constitution, and it's about Congress's mandate to do oversight over both the executive and judicial branches of government. Oversight is an institutional obligation to ensure against abuse of power. Subpoena authority is a vital tool of that oversight. It's a fundamental tenet and a strength of our democracy (laughs) that Congress has given not just the power, but the responsibility to exercise its duty of executive over the over, uh, oversight over the executives. No Justice Department is above the law, and no Justice Department above, is above the Constitution. The only recourse left for the House is to continue seeking the truth and to hold Attorney General in contempt of Congress. They'd rather play politics than uphold Congress's right to investigate. Today's vote is about accountability. Every member of Congress should do their key general in contempt today. All we have asked for is the documents. All we want are the facts. And we have been thwarted. Eric Holder, Attorney General of the United States, the highest judicial enforcement officer of the United States, has been in contempt, is in contempt, and is showing contempt for the Congress and the responsibility under the Constitution. Wow, well, they really cared about contempt back then, those Republicans in the House, didn't they? Well, that was then, this is now. They care. They were concerned about contempt, about the Constitution, about the rule of law. No attorney general, no Department of Justice is above any of that. <sighs> yes, that was then, this is now. Now... Hey, we need to move on. This is illegitimate. It's an illegitimate investigation. Why are you haranguing the the, the attorney general? So, okay, uh, that's the other segment of this. That's moving towards a contempt vote, the attorney general, Bill Barr. And then finally for now, uh, Donald Trump's former White House counsel, Don McGahn, cited more than 150 times in the redacted Mueller report where he explained, among other things, how he was told by Donald Trump to try and remove special counsel Robert Mueller, which is obstruction of justice. And then he was told by Donald Trump to lie about that fact after the New York Times reported as much, which is also obstruction. And also told um, by uh, he was also told by Trump to tell Jeff Sessions to change the focus of Mueller's probe to future elections only, which, yes, is also obstruction of justice. In any event, uh, McGahn was subpoenaed by the House Judiciary Committee to appear to give testimony on May 21, to give sworn testimony, and uh, was required by today to turn over reams of documents that he had already given to Mueller Uh, During his 30 hours of interviews with the special counsel, when the White House had essentially waived their right to try to protect McGahn from giving testimony to Mueller with so-called executive privilege. But they did not do so back then, which means the things that he told to Mueller are no longer protected by executive privilege. Nonetheless, today, the White House announced as uh, McGahn was supposed to turn over 
all of these documents. The White House announced that it was invoking sort of invoking executive privilege, as The Washington Post reports this afternoon. The White House on Tuesday invoked executive privilege to bar former White House counsel Don McGahn from complying with a congressional subpoena to provide documents to Congress related to uh, Robert Mueller's investigation. In a letter to the House Judiciary Committee, White House counsel Pat Cipollone said that McGahn does not have the legal right to comply with its subpoena for 36 types of documents, most relating to Mueller's two-year probe of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Rather, Cipollone argued the committee needed to send a request for those documents to the White House and even hinted that they would assert privilege to block that information. Cipollone wrote in this letter, the White House provided these records to McGahn in connection with its cooperation with the special counsel and with the clear understanding that the records remain subject to the control of the White House for all purposes. The White House records remain legally protected from disclosure under longstanding constitutional principles because they implicate significant executive branch confidentiality interests and executive privilege. McGahn emerged as a central player, of course, in Mueller's findings, uh, a senior confidant who documented in real time Trump's rage against the Russia investigation, as Washington Post calls it, and efforts to shut it down. Democrats were hoping to have him testify for a national television audience on May 21. But Trump has also said he would block McGahn's testimony. Uh, and the White House, in a uh, mid-April letter to the Justice Department, argued that while Trump did not assert executive privilege for the Mueller investigation, allowing aides like McGahn to cooperate, he still could do so for any witnesses who were asked to appear before Congress. Now, legal experts strongly disagree with that assertion. Nonetheless, with McGahn, a uh, still respected D.C. attorney and, and one who is no longer working for the White House or the administration, it's, uh, it was unclear whether he was bound to any agreement whatsoever with the White House. William Burke, his attorney, wrote to the Judiciary Committee on Tuesday after receiving uh, as well, receiving a letter from the uh, White House uh, uh, White House Counsel Pat Cipollone. Uh, so McGahn's attorney wrote to the Judiciary Committee saying that his client is now caught between demands from the White House and Congress, so will not turn over the records at this point. Instead, he said McGahn will allow the White House to proceed in its plans to negotiate directly with the committee over the subpoena for those records. Burke wrote in the letter uh, to the House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday morning, quote, where co-equal branches of government are making contradictory demands on Mr. McGahn concerning the same set of documents. The appropriate response for Mr. McGahn is to maintain the status quo unless and until the committee and the executive branch can reach an accommodation. Does that make sense? He's basically saying uh, one branch is telling me this, the other branch is telling me that. Therefore, I don't know what to do. So rather than change the status quo by turning over these documents, we're just going to leave everything as is. Let those two branches work it out. 
The White House move in this case is considered a partial or hybrid form of asserting executive privilege because the White House counsel is attempting to avoid a direct showdown and instead negotiate directly with the committee uh, and uh, have discussions with them. A formal claim of executive privilege would be asserted by the president and accompanied by a letter from the attorney general, the aforementioned scofflaw William Barr, who has not yet uh, submitted such a letter. The bigger dispute, I guess, as Washington Post calls it, is... um, is uh, whether the White House will also try to block McGahn from testifying in person to the committee uh, in a couple of weeks here. In that case, McGahn may find it more difficult to refuse to testify unless the White House makes that formal claim of executive privilege from William Barr, which would then be challenged in court. Um, but at least it would be a, a you know, done a, a formal uh claim of privilege. Now, this is interesting. A White House official said Trump is likely to formally assert the privilege if the Democrats continue to push McGahn for these documents. But Emmett Flood, a White House lawyer who has been involved in oversight matters, was conspicuously not a part of the letters sent by the White House to McGahn's attorney and to the House Judiciary. He's staying out of it. He's leaving the administration shortly, according to this uh, official who spoke to the paper uh, anonymously. So um, even Emmett Flood, you know, who has been working on this matter, would not go along with this notion that was put out by uh, this uh, letter from Pat Cipollone today. Of course, Trump does not want McGahn or anyone else current or former uh, White House or executive agency officials to testify on Capitol Hill and has told his lawyers to take the necessary steps to block it. Some in the White House see the legal arguments as dubious uh, because the administration has already waived privilege for the Mueller report. So it's not just outside attorneys who think that this is all a dubious claim since Uh, McGahn has already spoken to the special counsel, thus the White House has already waived the privilege. Uh, Even some inside the White House, at least according to this report from Washington Post, um, also think the claim is dubious. But clearly the Trump administration is going to pull out every single stop possible, even if it's dubious, even if it will be laughed out of court, it still gets their delay that they want, and they just might win with their stolen Supreme Court. Well, they might. Uh, And uh, but here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that everyone, at least everyone other than Fox News viewers, Uh, would also be dubious about these claims, along with these unnamed White House uh, lawyers who are dubious about it. I hope they'd also be dubious since Trump has claimed, remember, let's not lose sight, Trump claimed that Mueller's report totally exonerated him. He has said this over and over again. So why is he so concerned about McGahn testifying to Congress about what he has already told Mueller? So... uh, (laughs) The uh, uh, Irving uh, Irvin uh, B. Nathan, a former House counsel, said that the key waiver was the attorney general's release of the Mueller report. Once that Mueller report was turned over and made public, 
now the idea of executive privilege is totally gone. He, uh, Nathan worked under uh, Nancy Pelosi during her first term as speaker. He says there is no justification for executive privilege any longer. There's not a chance that any court would say that executive privilege has not already been waived. But, Mr. Nathan, as uh, Desi, as you pointed out, that was all before the courts were stocked with judges appointed by Donald J. Trump. The matter, uh, should McGahn go along with the White House move uh, may, you know, and not show up for this testimony, may ultimately wind up in court. Of course, he you know, stands to lose his law license. And this is a guy who is, as I say, he's young, he's still working, he's not at the end of his career like Bill Barr. Um, so this is, yeah, going to go to court. It could lead to a, a contempt citation for Don McGahn, which, yes, would be very harmful to his career as an attorney. So he may care a bit more about such a, uh, a contempt citation. The Washington Post reported Tuesday that House Democrats have already discussed the possibility of holding McGahn in, con- in contempt if he does not honor the subpoena. And then they would take him to civil court to try to convince a judge to order him to comply with their investigation. In the meantime, uh, you may want to mark your calendars for May 21 uh, as a good day for calling in sick to work. That is when McGann is at least scheduled right now by subpoena, not scheduled, uh, required by subpoena to show up and testify at 10 a.m. Can I call in sick on May 21st? (laughs) Everyone except for you. And you. Oh, yeah, me too. (laughs) All right. So until tomorrow then, or if uh, more news breaks before we're done with this hour, that is your constitutional crisis update for today. Quick break, and we're back with the climate crisis. And Desi Doyen with the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Desi Doyen, if you call in sick on May 21, <laughs> I will hold you in contempt of the broadcast. <laughs> okay. How's that work? That's a deal. Okay. All right. Oh, you're going to ignore that, eh? I might. Yeah. It's all the it's all the uh, it's it's in fashion these days. It's all the rage to ignore these uh, contempt but citations. But only if Don't you're worry. a Republican yeah. in the Trump administration. Oh yeah, good so. point. All right. Speaking of which, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Human action is hurting nature. And that damage to nature is in turn hurting humans. Landmark United Nations report warns humans are pushing one million species to the brink of extinction. Trump administration repeals offshore drilling safety rules implemented after deadly BP oil rig explosion. Plus, upper Midwest flooding in 2019 breaks all-time historic records. All of those historic records and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The time for action is now. This report hopefully will stimulate the world to report 
thank you. Is he drunk? No, he's British. No comment. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm shocked at how little coverage this is getting, but uh, the upper Midwest has been flooded for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yes, this week the Mississippi River broke all-time historic flood records in parts of Illinois and Iowa. The river has been in flood stage for more than 42 days, and that has never before occurred since record-keeping began about 150 years ago. Meanwhile, the Trump Interior Department late last week repealed safety rules governing offshore drilling that were put in place by the Obama administration after the explosion of BP's Deepwater Horizon Horizon rig in 2010. Who needs safety rules? That explosion killed 11 men and triggered the largest offshore oil spill in U.S. history. It killed more than a million seabirds, fish, and hundreds of marine animals. But the weaker safety rules will save the industry a billion dollars over the next 10 years. So there's that. So there's that. Incredible. Also, this week on Monday, the Trump administration lifted endangered species protections from an endangered beetle in Oklahoma at the request of the oil and gas industry. Naturally. To enable the industry to build pipelines more quickly. It's the latest endangered American species to lose protections under the Trump administration. And it's all the more remarkable that Trump's latest attack on endangered species was announced on the same day that the United Nations published a landmark report warning that humans are altering the course of the natural world. We are accelerating the extinction of plants, insects, and animals at rates unprecedented in human history. In the most comprehensive study of life on the planet ever conducted, scientists with the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services has concluded that up to one million of the planet's species are on track to go extinct, many within just decades, because of humans' insatiable consumption. The researchers blame human activities, farming, logging, poaching, fishing, mining, building, and more, including the resulting air and water pollution and, of course, man-made climate change. They say humans have altered about 75% of the planet's lands and two-thirds of its oceans. Land degradation has reduced the productivity of global land surfaces. A third of the world's fish stocks are overfished. Plastic pollution and pesticide runoff have created more than 400 dead zones in the ocean. This is not very good news, is it? It is not. This is a major study, about 500 researchers looking at 15,000 different scientific papers to compile this. This is a very troubling report. The international team of scientists also warns that these losses are threatening nature's ability to provide humans with clean air, water, and good soil, posing grave consequences because hurting nature is hurting humans and the ecosystem services that we rely on, our life support system, and our ability to feed ourselves, says UN Biodiversity Chief Sir Robert Watson. Nature helps to protect us against climate change, pollution, flood control, invasive alien species, etc. So as we convert our native forests and grasslands, we're not only losing species, but we're losing regulating services. We're degrading our land. And in the long term, we're threatening human well-being. We're threatening food security, water security, energy security. 
But the scientists say it is not too late to repair these problems, that there is still time to change course through transformative action. Here's UN ecologist and study co-author Dr. Anne Laragodri at the press conference announcing the report. What we would like at the end of this report is to really give uh, the world a real message of hope. We don't want that people feel discouraged, that uh, there is nothing that can be done, that we've lost the battle because we have not lost the battle. And if given a chance, nature will reconquer its rights and will prevail. The report recommends a suite of major policy changes and says that individuals can also shift their own consumption habits. Does it make me bad that I was listening to Sir Robert Watson talk about invasion of alien species and thinking it might be nice if Someone came to save us? (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. But nobody's coming to save us. We're going to have to save ourselves. For much more on that report and all of the other stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Who's going to save Never a good sign when the most hopeful moment in an entire uh, hour-long broadcast is the end of the Green News Report. (laughs) Never a good sign. Yeah, but hey, let's just repeat. Good news is human problem. There's a human solution. If we take action, we can solve these problems. We just have to vote in people in power to do those things and do them ourselves. So small task nobody's buying it little miss optimism uh all right we got to get out my thanks to our producer little miss optimism desi doyan and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is always greatly appreciated if you missed any portion of today's or any other broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Uh, I do send my thanks to those of you who uh, help us continue to do what we try to do day in and day out by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate, where you can uh, leave a one-time donation or sign up for a monthly subscription of any amount you like. That really helps us and uh, helps to keep us going. So thanks to those who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you and to see from you on the Facebooks and the Twitters where you can find me at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again for our next set of crises, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh.